Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. You know, and um, the scripture says, let everything that has breath, hallelujah. So we are here to praise the Lord. Now, today, as I said, it's a filler, but I'm not so sure if you could actually use God's word as a filler. But it's a filler. And just in considering what to prepare today, really, I felt at a loss. I thought, oh, what do you... Yay, amen. You know, um, there's safety when you're teaching through a book because you know exactly where you're at. For all the teachers out there, can I get a witness? You know, when, when you just got to jump in and jump out of the scriptures, it's kind of like hard because you're thinking, Lord, what's really on your heart? What's really on my heart? What's on your heart? What do you want to res- say to God's people? You know, it's, it's you know... All of God's word is profitable, amen? So whatever you share is, should be good. But Lord, you know, specifically what you want to share. I was at a loss. And I pray that what the Lord has just placed before us today will, be, will bless you. You know, generally, you know, when I do fillers, which are not fillers, um, you know, I kind of like, I feel like I'm having a go at God's people. I feel like I'm urging, encouraging, and and you know, encouraging us unto righteousness. And I feel like, Lord, I just don't want to feel like I'm bludgeoning your people. You know, um, I want to encourage people. I want people to feel encouraged today. Um, whether you're going to feel encouraged or not, I don't know. But that is the desire. And so, you know, as I considered these things, I thought about, you know, last week what Tim shared with us. And, you know, he'd done a fantastic job of sharing about the different covenants which the Lord um, established with his people throughout the scriptures. And I just thought, you know, it was a, a very nice job of how, you know, he went about doing that. It was, um, you know, very sober in the way he did it. And, and also the way he, he rounded it up with communion, I thought was a lovely touch. Um, you know, it was a blessing that, you know, at the end of it, we could all celebrate and partake of, of communion. And, um, yeah, it was interesting just to observe how not being served communion, but how we approached a communion table, just as how we as a congregation actually did that. That was, it was interesting, um, you know, just to see, you know, some people were quite meditative and they kind of like really prayed about it. Some people just, you know, just thought, well, I better get up there, get my communion. And, um, you know, but whichever way we did it, it's common union. You know, we partook of it as a family. And so what Tim shared was basically, basically us coming into that relationship with the Lord and you know, entering into that relationship with, with the Lord. And so, you know, my thoughts just ran on, okay, well, entering into the relationship is one thing, 
But staying in the relationship is a completely different thing. And so that's where my thoughts kind of like started to think about, okay, well, how can I encourage people, you know, in abiding, in staying in this newfound relationship we have with God the Father through Christ Jesus? How do we do that? And so, you know, the Lord prompted me to John chapter 8 and verse 31. So if you'd like to open up your Bibles, today's text will be John chapter 8, reading from verse 31 to verse 36. And again, it's kind of like jumping in a text to jump out of a text. So I'm not going to put everything completely in its context, forgive me. And at some points I'm going to go a bit left field and, and relate things to us corporately, whereas the text quite specifically says that it's speaking to the Jews. So will you permit me to do those things? Amen? Amen. Okay, I need that little bit of, you know. Okay, so. John chapter 8. And if you're in your Bibles at John chapter 8, please say amen. 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 Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you are free indeed. Amen. Lovely portion of scripture, which I'm sure many of us have quoted at some stage within our Christian walk or speaking to people. And... We see here that in verse 31, we have this group of Jews who, as the text says, clearly show some evidence of what we will call initial faith. Initial faith and belief in Christ. Because the text says, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him. But even though they show this initial evidence of belief, the fact is that they were not necessarily genuine believers. Because it's not part of our text today, but if we scan down to verse 45 of the same chapter, it goes on to prove this because Jesus said, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. So... This group who Jesus is speaking to, they showed an initial sign of faith. But when confronted with truth, truth that went against their own personal convictions or their own personal desires or their own measure of right and wrong, when they were confronted with this truth, they withdrew themselves from the Lord. 
so we have to conclude from that that just having an initial ascent or, and belief of faith in Christ Jesus is good, but it's not good enough. You know, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So he is the one who is making a distinction here. Saying that coming to faith in him was more than this mental ascent of believing. As I said, believing is good, but it's not good enough. James chapter 2 verse 19 says, you believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble. So the profession of faith initially has to be you know, made from a sober position. And it has to have something accompanying it. It has to have actions. Faith without works is... Faithful at works is, thank you. So, Jesus is saying that what this initial faith needs to have accompanying it is this act of abiding. Now, we generally know that the word abide means to continue, to remain, to dwell, or to stand. And in this case, the Lord said it is to abide in something specific. I want you to dwell. I want you to remain. I want you to stand in my word. So, Lord, what you're saying is your word makes all the difference here. Well, yeah, it does. The Lord places the emphasis on his word and he encourages these Jews at this point to abide in his word because as we abide in the word, we know as believers, we are abiding in Christ himself because Christ is the word made flesh. John 1.14 says, and the word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And, you know, it would be interesting for you, you know, in your own study time, just to see how many times um, the word is mentioned and truth is mentioned. It seems like there's often a nice association with the word and truth. The word and truth. As we abide in the word, you know, we are abiding in something which is eternal. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Heaven and earth is going to pass away. I mean, think about it. Earth as we know it. England. The globe. Come on, think about it is going to pass away, is going to become something new, but 
even though that's going to become something new, there's something which is going to remain, which is his word. It's not going to change. You see the importance the Lord is placing on his word. As we abide in the word, we are abiding in the very thing that God has esteemed above his very name. What Lord, you put your word above your name. Yes, I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. Truth again. For you have magnified your word above all your name. Wow. Well, that's deep, Lord. But there's often times I don't even read my word. There's days, there's even weeks where I don't even sniff the pages. It's got dust on it. The Lord is saying, you know, you need to abide in my word. And, you know, even here at Calvary Chapel, South London, we can be guilty of many things. But one thing we're definitely guilty of is trying to draw as much as we can from God's word. Keeping it in context. Because we see the importance of God's word. As we abide in God's word, it has this beautiful way of sanctifying us. You know, when we walk with the Lord, well, Lord, how do, how do I change? How do I change into your image and your likeness? How do I stop being me and decrease and allow you to increase? Well, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Wow, so if I read your word, it kind of has this way of changing me. Yes, it does. And so, again, in your own study time, the list goes on. We can make these comparisons. The Lord is placing this emphasis on his word. He's, you know, Jesus connects, you know, abiding to his word. And he connects abiding to, to true discipleship. And so, as we look at the text, you know, and we may be asking ourselves the question, you know, where exactly am I with the Lord right now? And the scriptures does encourage us to examine ourselves to see if we're actually in the faith. You know, a good question could be, well, am I abiding in the Lord's word? Am I abiding? Am I sitting underneath your word? Am I searching the scriptures to see if these things are so? Or am I living in a place of doubt? Am I not sitting under the word? Doesn't mean you're not saved. Doesn't mean you're not a Christian. But, you know, we can gauge for ourselves exactly where we are with the Lord. And the Lord's encouragement to us is to abide in his word. Because he goes on to say, and I said he connects these things there. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So, again, let's not get it twisted. 
a true disciple of Christ is someone who abides in his word. If you're not abiding in his word, we can ask the question, are you a true disciple? And not to say we should be judging each other in that sense, but a tree shall be known by its fruit. We should be able to look at each other's lives and say, well, based on the evidence, I can draw this conclusion. But again, the Lord wants us to abide in his words because as we abide in his word, he says, you are my, my disciples indeed. And with this statement, you know, it, it shouldn't be seen as a, a condition of salvation. But rather, it brings clarity to our position before the Lord. You know, as we abide, it, becomes, it becomes obvious that we are. Because we're abiding. And as we're abiding and we're allowing the word to change us, people look and think, Oh yeah, there's a Christian. They don't act like me. They don't talk like me. But they may dress like me. There should be something something distinctive. You know? And a scary a scary thought which I've been having at the moment is that you know, oftentimes these days, you can't really make that distinction between who's a believer and who's not a believer. We all look and generally act just like everyone else. And the Lord wants us to be distinctive. He wants us to, be, us to have a fragrance about us. Which brings life to those who are receiving life. But you know what? It has the effect of death to those who are receiving death in that sense. You know, you start telling people about the truth of God's word. It may have a negative effect on them. They may not want to hear it. We are to bring that fragrance. And so the Lord wants us to abide in his word, which will have clear evidence that we are his disciples. His disciples indeed. I love the way he says that. But maybe you're a baby in Christ right now and you don't even know. What's a disciple? What does that mean? You know, the the word means learned one or student or follower of someone or disciplined one that's the one I like disciplined one and so again just to take the thought a bit further a true disciple of Christ is a disciplined one who desires to learn all that there is to know about Christ And so it just, it's just obvious that a disciple would abide because he wants to abide and know everything there is about his God. 
He's saviour. He's Lord. He wants to know everything there is to know. And he wants to know the good bits, which brings the promises and the blessings. (laughs) But he also wants to know the bad bits, which, you know, could ask us to have self-denial. Picking up your cross and following Christ. Decreasing so that he can increase. You know, a disciple embraces all those things. Doesn't just want the good bits, the good snippets. Is also challenged to make sacrifices. And you see, as we abide in God's word, as we are in the process of being disciples. Jesus says, as we're going through this process and we're walking with him and we're learning of him, we're being obedient to him. Verse 32 says, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Interesting. Because it's only truth that can really make someone free. You know, you think about, you know, us who live in the West and we have great freedom. We can travel basically where we want to. We can do almost what we want to. We think we have freedom. And some of us, some of your friends may think that freedom is is walking along a nice deserted beach in the Maldives. That's freedom. I have bliss. I can have clarity of thoughts. I have nobody bothering me. That may be some people's idea of freedom, escapism. We may be of the tendency, guys, this may be you, freedom may be in front of an Xbox. Don't bother me. I've got my space. I want my freedom. Cod. Oh, that wasn't a good one. It's not COD. What game is it? Yeah, okay. Call of Duty. I don't know. That may be your idea of freedom. It may be a lovely book. I don't know. But all those things, yeah, they may bring an aspect and a sense of freedom or escapism. But Jesus says, and you shall know the truth, and it is the truth that shall make you free. So Jesus isn't just speaking about, you know, a natural, material form of, of freedom. He's really focuses, focusing on the real aspects of freedom, which is spiritual freedom, which is to know that you're right with God, which is to know that Your eternal destiny is secure. To know that, you know, your life is is in his hands. That he is the author and the finisher of your faith. Though you may fall, you shall arise. He will pick you up. That's true freedom. 
So you should know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So as Christ's disciples, we are to learn of him, looking at his word and relying upon his Holy Spirit, who again is the spirit of truth. And as we do this and as we understand and we know truth, again, it brings true freedom. So, as we continue in the text, verse 33 says, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say, Jesus, you will be made free? I added Jesus in there. They, they answered him in this way because, as I said, they were not genuine in their approach to him initially. And they were holding on to something which they place higher value on. And they didn't realize that Jesus desired to bring them into a deeper understanding of who he was. They totally missed the point. And what they did was they actually became defensive and decided to hold on to the very thing which they thought gave them value and worth. And in this case, it was their racial identity. Being natural descendants of Abraham. You know, they say, we are descendants of Abraham. And have never been in bondage to anyone. And you kind of like get the impression from this verse that maybe they were trying to, to think spiritually. And I say that because did they forget their history? 70 years in captivity. <laughs> the Babylonians, come on. Now the Romans. Yeah, yeah, they had been in bondage. So were they actually thinking, trying to, trying to relate to Jesus on a spiritual level? Oh, you, can, you can speak spiritual, Jesus. We can speak spiritual too. Yeah, so they basically tried to hold on to the thing which gave them value and worth. And in so many ways, you know, Many of us act in a similar way when the Lord challenges us in areas which are very dear to us. We get defensive with the Lord. <laughs> and we question, Lord, is this really what you want me to do? Do you really want me to make that decision, Lord? Do you really want me to walk along that path? And the fact is, the Lord does challenge us in those areas. And he wants our answer to be, well, no matter what the difficulty is, Patrick, <laughs> I want you to hold on to me and hold on to the fact that, again, I am the author and the finisher of your faith. I will take you to places which are going to be difficult and hard. But you know what? Stick with it. Abide in me. Prove that you are my disciple. And if you mess up, don't worry about it. Repent 
and get back on track. You see, what else can we do? Come on, Peter said to the Lord, (laughs) he said, unless you you, you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And it says, many of them who believed, (laughs) they went. They said, no, that's, that's a hard saying. I was with you up until a point, but that's a hard saying now. And so... We'll stop. We'll part company. I'll go my way. So were they genuine converts? And so the Lord wants us to walk with him. No matter how difficult it gets. You know, Peter at that point says, where can I go? (laughs) You're the ones with the words of eternal life. Where can I go? Yeah, it's not easy. It's hurting. I don't get it, but I'm sticking with it. I'm sticking with you, Lord, because that's the better option. So, in this case before us, you know, hearing their response, the Lord Jesus brought the reality home to them by using stern language which would catch their attention. And again, often he does the same to us, you know, and his desire is to draw us to himself. And so, in speaking to us, the Lord may, you know, he may use gentle persuasion. He may use a loving word of encouragement. You know, you may have a brother or a sister come alongside you, put their arm around you and say, do you know what? It's okay. It's all right. The Lord's got it in hand. He may, he may do that. He often does that. He may, he may look at your situation and look at your actions within it and just say, you know what? <laughs> I chastise those I love. And he may bring a hard word of rebuke. He may do that. But again, his desire is not to push us away. His desire is to bring us unto himself. And so, in verse 34, Jesus answers them and he says, Most assuredly, or if you're reading from the original King James, I think it says, verily, verily. Verily, Verily, he's basically saying, you know what? Listen to what I have to say to you. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. I love it. Jesus didn't pull any punches. He just went, bow. He went straight to the core of the matter. You know? He stated to them that, you know, what I'm talking about is, is not this natural thing or this physical thing that you're holding on to of being descendants of Abraham. You know, I'm dealing, dealing with a more important issue, the real issue. And 
even if you're a descendant of Abraham, the fact still remains, you are a sinner. You are guilty of sin. And because you are guilty of sin before a holy and righteous God, (laughs) you are a slave to sin. Again, James chapter 2 and verse 10 says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. That's harsh. Lord, I've kept the whole law. I just messed up on that one little thing over there. Guilty. And that's the standard. And Jesus wanted to show these guys that, you know, there's something deeper going on here. You need to have your sins forgiven. You need to come in right relationship with God. And so he uses this language of slavery. And the Greek word which he uses is doulos, which describes the lowest state of slavery. So these guys are saying, we've never been in bondage to to anyone. Now he's saying, but actually, you're the lowest form of slave. That's really your condition. So the racial heritage which you're taking such pride in you know really it doesn't mean anything and for us as well you know those things which we we hold so dear those things we take such pride in if it if it's not in line with God's word if it's not in line with what he has for us it means nothing it accounts for absolutely nothing zero big zero And so Jesus just says, you know, you're slaves of sin. And to help them understand their condition, again, before a holy God, you know, Jesus uses an example which they were familiar with, which maybe we, you know, 2,000 years removed, we're not so familiar with right now. But he uses this whole thing of, of slavery and households and and sons, and ears, and things like that. So, he said, that basically, whoever, sorry, I've lost my point. Yeah, so Jesus used the example which they're familiar with, which was of a master and his household. And as they said it, they knew exactly what he was talking about because it was only family members of a household who had permanent rights within a house you still following and if for some reason the master of the household no longer had need for a slave he would simply didn't have to ask any questions he would just cast the slave out so Jesus said, I want you to get this. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And verse 35, and a slave 
does not abide in the house forever. But a son abides forever. So from this, the Jews, you know, should have and would have realized that being a descendant of Abraham just wasn't enough. Because just being a natural descendant of Abraham didn't deal with the sin issue. Therefore, what they actually needed was a change of status. And this change of status was only something which Jesus could provide. Only Jesus could take individuals from being slaves and make them become sons. Sons of righteousness. And so, Jesus saying that in order to become a son, you know, you need to have this abiding element of abiding in my word. And as you're abiding in my word, it has that effect of you obviously being a disciple. And as you continue in that, you are just continuing. You have every right to be in God's household. Because you are in right relationship with God. And, you know, as I looked at this, I just considered, you know, John chapter 1 verse 12, which, is said, which says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. And so... Sonship is so important. And again, in this verse, it's interesting to see how the Lord, again, uses this word abide. And he uses this word abide and he uses it in relation to eternity. You know, he says, and a slave does not abide in the house forever. But a son abides forever. And so he uses this, this word abide and he contrasts it first in the negative and then in the positive. You know, you Jews, you are slaves. And as slaves, you are not going to abide in the house forever. But if you change, if you come to me and become sons, then you will abide forever. And it's, you know, it's, it's fantastic. It's amazing because as you read on in, in this chapter, it gets a little bit heated. And Jesus still has this element of compassion and this willingness to, to, want, to want to work with these guys, to appeal to them, to want to draw them unto himself. And almost as... Stating something which he wanted to resonate in, the, in their minds. You know, he says, verse 36, 
Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And again, he uses this illustration, this example of a master over his house, over his household. You know, we can look at that as being God the Father over the earth. You know, he is the master over his house and he decides who comes into right relationship with who comes into eternity with him and who doesn't. And he sets the, the platform there. The call goes out to whosoever will. And with this illustration of a master over his household and with slaves, slaves could get their freedom. But the only people, the only person within the household who could grant a slave their freedom was the master or the rightful heir. And Jesus here is stating, do you know what? <laughs> I'm the rightful heir. I have the power and I have the right to set you free. And I have the power and the right to make you sons in my father's household. And, you know, that's a comforting thing to, to hear for us today. That we have come into relationship with Christ and he has set us free. And to know that if we needed assurance, you know, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, it says, Beloved, now we are children of God. There's no doubt there. Now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be like, but we know that when he is revealed... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You know, Jesus says that when he does the work, it will be a complete work. Because who the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that... <laughs> We can find comfort in your word. We can have freedom and liberty, Lord, to, to walk with you, Lord, to sing praises to your name, to have joy, to know, Lord, that the joy we have in our hearts, Lord, is not dependent on an experience or a happening, Lord, but it's dependent on the fact that we are yours. That you are our Lord and our Savior. I pray, Lord, that the things which we have considered today, that they would resonate in all of our minds and all of our hearts, Lord. And that it would indeed bring about lasting change within us, Lord. Change within us. And that we could um, be more like you. So um, continue to have your way within our hearts and our minds as, as the afternoon progresses, Lord, and as we go through our week. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen.